Wait, you're going to do what? I'm going to do an, an, a one-man show. But, but wait, you're a lawyer. I, I know. I'm going to do a one-man show. Today's process is this. Origin story, take two. Sit back, relax. Let's light the lantern. Well, hello there, Rangers. Wade Skalski here, lawyer, online entrepreneur, and your guide to the understory. Because this place is filled with monsters and bandits, here comes your first warning. Although I am a lawyer, this podcast is not for legal advice. To work with me, you must have a signed agreement. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. All right, let's enter the understory. Remember, admission is free, but understanding always has a price. Let's light the lantern. What is up, Rangers? Those of you who are in the understory against your will, and those of you who are in the understory on purpose, on paper, with your Ranger Field journals. Wade Skalski here. For the moment, the title is Head Ranger. It doesn't feel quite right, so perhaps I will do some internet research and find something else. I don't know. We'll see. But here, happy to talk to you today. Episode 93. So, a couple things, a couple wins I want to talk about before we get into Origin Story Take 2 is that uh, yesterday I talked on the podcast and I, I had said that um, I had been uh, helping my friends do some messaging for their Facebook ads. I'm not a Facebook ads expert, but I'm pretty decent at seeing the small hinges um, that swing big doors and they had a messaging problem. So I fixed their messaging problem. We put out a couple ads um, and those ads were coming in at about, one of them was like 48 cents a click and the other one was um, 30 cents a click. So you're like, oh, okay, what does that mean? Well, to put this in perspective, in their industry, the average uh, Facebook cost per click is $2.60. So uh, I just 4X'd, basically 5X their business, 6X their business in terms of their marketing budget. So uh, the messaging is not only competitive, super competitive. So if you can dump five times, if you can dump the same amount of money as your competitors into advertising, but you get five times more advertising, what do you think is going to happen with that? And I'm not a Facebook expert, but I literally sat with them on Friday. We, uh, I came up with some ideas for sun. We, sh- we shot some, uh, a couple videos and some pictures. And these are just pictures. They're not even videos on Facebook um, for that kind of engagement. And then uh, I put them up on Monday, and then today's Wednesday. So just there was a race. To, we set a number of clicks we wanted that we thought was a good sample size for both, and it was just a race and crushed it. And I'm, I have four more that I'm going to do, and then I'm going to sit down with them on Thursday. I'm going to be like, hey, uh, all right, now it's time to start saying maybe you should bring me on board a little bit for a little business consulting, a little continuity. And they're going to do it because I've had done. I've put out. I've laid out my own money. They haven't spent one dollar um, on, on terms of in their situation. And uh, they're going to be an awesome case study for what I do. And yesterday I had said it was like $2 a click or something or a dollar a click or something like that. I had actually misread the stats and I went over everything last night and it's uh, much, much less. So that's good. All right. You may not care about that. I do. But it's part of this podcast is reporting along the way um, in terms of where we're going and what's happening. And so that's a win for me, win for them. And everybody's there was much rejoicing, as they would say, in uh, Monty Python's Quest for the Holy Grail. So. All right. Origin story take two. If uh, so, I, I listened to my origin story this morning, and uh, the, while I was drinking my delicious banana smoothie. So here's my my drinks, my the history of Wade's morning drink schedule. I get up, I have a green smoothie. Then when I get hungry, oh no, I have a green smoothie. Then I uh, after I do that, 
I do a little bit of cup of coffee for myself with some other projects that I do. Then I have breakfast when I get hungry. I drink my banana smoothie. Now my banana smoothie. Here's the recipe. It's delicious. By um, thank you Brian Paraday. Bones to bulk. Free plug. Um, and here's the recipe. Try it. It's delicious. Uh, one scoop of my protein vanilla powder. Three quarters of a cup of. Greek Chobani, Greek yogurt, vanilla, the vanilla one with the Madagascar cinnamon. A banana, one cup of milk. Boom. Blend that thing in a Vitamix. Put it in the fridge overnight. Don't drink it right away. Get Drink it ice cold in the morning. Boom. Delicious. Awesome. You'll never go back. And it's your breakfast. It's got plenty of calories to get you going. And uh, you're not crushing your veins with bacon. So... Which will I will return to those days after I've lost enough weight. So weigh in tomorrow. I was a little off my off my game for the food this last week. It kind of fell apart, but it's uh, that was the dip. I'm in the dip, as Seth Godin would say. So all right, enough pussyfooting around. Let's talk about uh, origin story take two. So I listened to my origin story this morning because um, I'm running through the One Funnel Away Challenge and they're talking about your origin story. And so this is like the third time I've done this challenge and uh, I'm doing it specifically for the um, Free Plus Shiving book funnel that you guys are gonna get. And the book title has changed. It's now um, Understory 101, an entrepreneur's field guide to surviving business. Boom! So, uh, and we're going to find out a little bit more about what's going to be in that book. So I decided to listen to the origin story that I put on there and it's good. The origin story kind of talks about how I came to change from being the type of lawyer that I was to, to um, the, that decision, but it doesn't really go into why I'm offering the services and the help and the community to you. So here we go. Origin story. So, little backstory about myself. So, as you uh, may or may not know, I grew up. I grew up a, fo- a poor boy, and no, I grew up on a farm in North Dakota. Now, when I say farm, it was a vanity farm. Um, it was we had like eight to ten acres. We had chickens. We had crops. We had uh, my dad planted a bunch of trees. I had chores. You know, we had we had a farm dog. We had two Quonsets. If you don't know what it is, go look it up. Q U O N S E T. Um, I had guns. I got a shotgun for my twelfth birthday. Neither of my parents had gone to college. My dad was a construction worker. He had a small construction business. He was a subcontractor uh, doing concrete and um, other stuff. And then uh, my mom was a homemaker at the time. And basically, neither of them had ever gone to college. And their advice always from the beginning to probably even now is they're like, why are you doing what you're doing or you're doing is go to college, become a doctor or a lawyer. So I don't like math or science. So I became a lawyer. Right. But the important part of all that is the in the beginning is not so much the fact that because like when people say you'll hear this a lot when people talk about their story, they'll say, oh, I grew up in Kansas or oh, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. And those things are true. Like Beulah, North Dakota at that time had about 2000 people. I think it's more now because of the the oil and gas boom up there. Um, But the biggest thing was its 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 tagline is it's known as the lignite coal capital of the world. And there was a gas uh, coal gasification plant there that turned lignite coal into natural gas, uh, and that shut down, and then it just decimated the whole town. And that was in the like the 80s, and then that's when we moved down to Tucson, right? But the the, the most important point of um, and I didn't even realize how important it was until really 
really recently. I always knew that it was important, but I didn't know how important and how much this drove me was when people talk about that they grew up in a small town, they kind of say it in a, I'm just a farm boy or a farm girl from a town and we worked hard and, but I didn't know much and blah, 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 blah. Yes, that's all true. So take, take the best farm story that you've ever heard of someone in their marketing that says, I'm just a farm boy. From, that's true. So take the best one you've ever heard, just put my name in it, right? So attach that to what I'm about to say. But I'm going to tell you something I've never heard before and, and maybe I'm sure there's other people out there, but in this small town, you know, my graduating class had like 60 people in it, okay? So you get assigned a role very early and you cannot escape that role. There's just not enough, there's just not enough people. So like if you were young in a big, like let's say that you went to a huge school in, in, in like LA, for example, where I lived for 16 years. If the school is big, right, and you're not having social success with a certain group of peers, there's usually a niche or a, a click that you can kind of roll yourself into and have some some success, and so that you're not a to, you're not a total outcast. The problem was with North Dakota with that zip code was there was one click, right, and that was sports. Like you had to be good at sports um, to be basically be accepted, and or you had to support sports, and or you had to be friends with the people in the sports, right? But there's only 60 people, right? Like I played football, I played basketball. I ran track. I did all those things before high school in North Dakota, and I sucked at all of them because um, one reasons why I do the Brian Parody bones to bulk was he specializes in people who who are super skinny and have my skinny mindset problems. And you're like, oh my god, you're so lucky. Yes, I know, but there's a whole niche of people out there who aren't like you. I hate to break this to you. So if you struggle with your weight and you struggle with your weight because you have like a, you put on weight easily problem, I'm not diminishing that problem. But that's not the only weight problem in the whole world. There are other people that have a similar problem, right? Now you're all pissed off at me like, oh, Wade, hey, listen, I'm just telling you the truth. There are, not everyone's like you, okay? That one's for free, not part of the origin story. We'll do a whole other podcast on that. Um, and But anyway, so I was so skinny that, uh, and there's like a, such a physical dominance culture there that it was, that even like the, I was basically the weakest person in the school. And, and I'm not joking. Like I was so weak. And it also too is that, you know, and this started really early. So I was like relentlessly bullied and relentlessly picked on, not by everyone, but by a, a couple people or enough people who I'm sure don't even remember now. And it's, I'm not bitter about it at all because kids don't know what the fuck they're doing. Okay. So it's actually the parent. If your kid's bullied um, or your kid's a bullier, uh, it's the parents that are around the situation. It's their fault because there are people that are not correcting the bullies and there are people that are not properly counseling the people being bullied. It's not the kid's fault. So I don't like so if you're ever if you're listening to me and you ever bullied me, don't worry about it. You and I are cool because it's not your fault. Like it's maybe like a small like one percent your fault. But like most of it's ninety nine percent is the adults around us did not know what the fuck they were doing including my parents like my parents my parents knew that there were problems and they didn't they didn't they didn't help me out right now that was water on the bridge i forgive them about that like and as a parent now it's so fucking complicated being a parent and complex like it's impossible to be able to do everything well and it's also impossible to know everything so maybe they didn't know but the point i'm trying to make is is that i was and this is as anyone that was there it will 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 attest to it and if they remember um i'm just telling you it's the truth i was the weakest person in town and it and it started early so then i became the weakest person mentally in town i got like t i was a total wuss and I, I was, I just was just, I would just go in the tank and I made, I didn't stand up for myself and I made myself a very easy target. Okay. And so I was relentlessly physically dominated and mentally dominated for like a long time. 
And I always knew that. And I was like, yeah, that kind of sucked. And like, look, like right now I'm, I'm in the garage bunker. It's flooded from the thunderstorm we had last night. The hurricane didn't flood it, but somehow the thunderstorm sheets of rain we had yesterday did. And so I'm sitting in the garage bunker. I'm sitting in this little pool of water here. I'm trying to like get up with towels and stuff. I'm 6'4", 217, 216, losing weight. You know, I'm, I'm not physically weak. I have a Mossberg tactical shotgun over here. So like, look, like I'm fine. I'm not a weak, I, I can take care of myself. I can stand up for myself. I'm an attorney. I've been in court every day for 20 years, or I was in court every day for 20 years. I can stand up for myself. I, I don't have a challenge, okay? This isn't to tell you, like, to all oh, feel sorry for me. This is just to tell you the backstory of, of how we got here and why I'm offering the service that I did, right? So, like, the thing is, is that when I... And there's another thing about it, too, is that I also what I found out about myself is I, I took the big five personality test. You should look it up online and take it. It's it's a, it's amazing what you can learn from that test. Right. It's scientifically validated. It, it's it's great. And I have a four percent conscientiousness, which means that 96 percent out of everybody else is more conscientious than me. Now, I can't I don't think I would say that's a learning disability, but it's a learning disability. And the fact is that it's impossible for it historically has been impossible for me to complete projects. Um, or do anything on a consistent basis for a long period of time, and I never knew why. And the reason is I was I was born that way, okay? Turning off the light, because it's starting to get hot here in my garage bunker. I was born that way. Now, that's not an excuse. You have to figure out your weaknesses and you have to compensate for them. And I've learned tricks and tactics to be able to be conscientious. So you can actually, of your big five personality, conscientious is something that you can move um, a big, a big way. Okay. And the number one big way to move it is to find something that you can real that you really want to commit to. And that's part of this podcast, um, in terms of what the service that I provide. Okay. And the other part of it is delegate like things that require a lot of conscientiousness, find someone who's like delegated and like your accountant and delegate it to them. That's easy. It's an easy fix, but if you don't know you have that problem, then it can be, you can be a mystery to yourself. So what this meant was, is that I had horrible school success. My high school GPA was a 2.76. I had this like weak person mentality and uh, it was a problem. This is a problem, right? And well, so how does that, how does that, how does that translate to what we're talking about? All right, so fast forward now, I've gone through law school and um, when I went to law school, I wanted to be a corporate lawyer and make a lot of money. And that never would have worked out because at that time I hadn't figured out the conscientious problem. There was no way I was going to be able to bill in six minute increments, you know, year upon year upon year upon year. I just would have burnt out and I wouldn't have, would have been successful in that. But what I did like is I did like the courtroom because it was a, a, a trials, because it was a competitive arena to where that I could actually have success in where sports traditionally hadn't been. Okay. Now, since then, I've kind of learned how to be conscientious, learned how to turn myself into an athlete. I did martial arts for a long time. I've done a lot of things. So these these things can be compensated for. But at that time, when I was young, I hadn't figured that out yet. So what happened was is that um, I so in order to do trials because I, I liked debate when I was in high school, um, it was great, and then stuff like that. So I was like, I'm going to go be a lawyer, and because my mom and dad said to go be a lawyer, and then I'm going to do trials. I'm going to become a trial attorney. Well, the fastest way to become a trial attorney is to go either work at the prosecutor's office or go to the public defender's office because you're going to be doing trials all the time. I wanted to wear the white hat at that time because I had sort of an immature, naive view of the world, and so I was like, I'm going to. I had even said I could ever be a or a defense attorney, and so I went and I. Um, went to be a prosecutor, okay? Now, so 
I did 40 trials in like two and a half years or so, 40-ish. I actually stopped counting in the 30s. I was like, this is the same thing over and over again. So I stopped counting. Let's say that I've done 40 trials, but I have done thousands of bench trials, thousands of administrative hearings. I mean, I have done thousands of hours, easily more than 10,000 hours of trial, like adversarial um, adversarial contests in the legal field. So here's what happened, okay? I then left the prosecutor's office because the prosecutor's office required conscientiousness and required playing with others, right? And I went into, uh, I opened my own firm because my dad was an entrepreneur and then I was like, I'm going to start my own firm. And so at that time, the only thing I knew how to do was be a criminal defense attorney. And then I was a criminal defense attorney for 16 years, okay? In Los, and then eventually I moved to Los Angeles, Grand Gesture. We talked about that in previous episodes. That's not important for this right now. What's important for this right now is um, I, I had 16 years of actually 20 years of criminal criminal law momentum in Los Angeles. And um, I was in court one day and I had a judge that was yelling at me. I had a prosecutor who was like being so condescending on a misdemeanor case that in the grand scheme of things meant nothing. And I had a client who was so upset and freaked out that they were even in the system, they were situationally possessed, that they were just mad at me. So everyone was mad at me, right? And here's the thing about criminal law is like defense attorneys were always getting your asses kicked because if a prosecutor doesn't have a 95% plus win rate, they're, they're a complete moron because you don't bring cases unless you can win them as a prosecutor and you don't bring cases unless you have the evidence, you dismiss them. So they only bring winners. So, so like the prosecutors who think that they're, you know, oh, I've never lost a trial as a prosecutor. Like, yeah, I never lost a trial as a prosecutor either. It wasn't because at the time I was amazing. It was because I always had all the goods. It was like, it would be like me playing basketball against 11th or against like third graders. That's what it's like. There's that much disparate in ammunition that you have. Okay, so your prosecutor friends that are like, oh, I'm amazing. They're, no, they're not. Maybe some of them are, but most of them just are, they're just riding the wave. Okay, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I am desperately unhappy. I'm getting up in Los Angeles at like 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning. Then I'm getting into my, I'm not doing a morning routine. I'm drinking a lot of gin fizzes. I'm getting up in the morning. I'm driving I'm driving like I'm in the car like three or four hours a day going to different courts. Everyone's yelling at me. I mean, I'm doing good work, but like I'm always getting my ass kicked because it's, you know, even when we win, we lose. So like winning a lot of the time is getting a charge reduced. So like, let's say you save your guy from jail and you get the charge reduced. They're still mad at you. So the judges are just are on power trips and screaming at you all the time. And they're the prosecutors. Some of them are like, it's just, there's a lot of bad experiences every single day. And I was like... I am trapped in this business. That I, not only am I trapped in this business I created, but I'm trapped in criminal law. I cannot get out. My clients are never happy. The judges are never happy. I'm never happy. And the prosecutors are never happy. No one's happy. Everyone's unhappy because that system just grinds you down. You think it grinds defendants down? Try being in it every day for 20 years. Like you should see defense attorneys who are like in their 60s and 70s. Just go get 10 of them together and go take a look at them. Just bodies broken down. It requires an incredible amount of self-care to be able to survive that business. And almost no one has the discipline to do it. And it just chews you up and it just breaks you. And I was trapped. I did not know how to do anything else. And frankly, you know, so that was the external problem. Like the outside problem was I was trapped in criminal law. I was trapped in a business of my own creation. Um, I had successfully gotten out of, of having to work for someone else. So I escaped the trap of the nine to five. But I was being commoditized 
I, I was a commodity because all the lawyers, we all look the same. We all wear the same tie. So I was being price shopped relentlessly. So not only was I enduring all that, I was not making any money, very little money. And I was just struggling. Okay. But here's the other thing is that on the inside, and I, and I just kind of realized this, I just realized this recently is that all my peers around me were successful. All my legal peers, all my friends from law school, I went to George Washington, very good law school, top 20. All my friends that were GW were successful. Like I was the only criminal lawyer and I was the only one getting my ass kicked all the time. And I was the only one that was broke all the time. Okay. And, and internally, like on the inside, I was saying to myself, I am not the dumbest person in the world. There has to be a better, better way than this. But I didn't have the courage at that time to change. Because it's all I knew. And it's sort of the devil you know is better than the devil that you don't. And to totally, to totally, like, in my mind, I viewed it as starting over. And I didn't want to start over. Because I had to 20 years of, I had invested 20 years. I was, you know, 45, 44, 45 at the time. I'm 47 now. This is two years ago. And, um, and the other thing, too, is I just, I never felt like I had a place to stand. And that was, that's why the the backstory of North Dakota is so important is because I still felt like a weak, like someone that's weak because I was still failing. I was, instead of failing in school and instead of being physically dominated by my peers, I was failing in business and I was being like um, mentally dominated by my peers. I had just traded the same, I had just recreated, I had recreated my childhood. Like I had, I had allowed myself to continue to be bullied. Now. I wasn't able to be physically bullied anymore, right? Um, And I wasn't in school anymore, but I created the exact same thing in my life because I never had the courage to stand up for myself. Now, if you from externally, you wouldn't say you wouldn't think that. But internally, I never felt settled. I never knew how to make decisions that I felt good about. I never knew how to. I just never knew how to have confidence in moving forward on decisions. And so what I was, was that I was just this, I was just this kite in the wind is that, and I was like very susceptible to other people's opinions, very susceptible to gurus, very susceptible to online marketing, anything like anyone that seemed like they had authority or had it together. I was susceptible to that. And I can't, I was, I was in a business with someone for 10 years where I made, I made four figures and a hazelnut candle over 10 years. Like I made less than a thousand dollars a year in a, in a, in an MLM that I went to, like I spent like three or four hours a week. I was in a growth trap with that person and it's not that person's fault because they were always honest about everything. It was my fault. And that person does not bear any responsibility. I bear hundred percent responsibility for that because I didn't have the courage to have res- to have like monetary results be the metric. My results were like, okay, I'm learning, I'm growing, right? That's a good metric, but it's not a good metric if you have to feed your family. And and so I, you know, ever, just to me, it felt like everyone else had it figured out, and I had to figure it out for myself. And I desperately wanted to feel strong. I desperately wanted to say that I have a place to stand and you cannot move me off of it. Right or wrong, I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to I'm going to keep moving forward for what I want. Turn the page on the outline. As Tom Coppinson says, if they know your if your tactics are sound, it doesn't matter if people know about them. 
because the story is true and it's just a framework for telling it. And, you know, there were problems for me to be able to do that. I had this massive, massive, what I call anti-momentum. I had 20 years of inertia of being a criminal lawyer. Like I was good at it. I'm still good at it. I still do a couple little cases because it's the help game. So that I'm still using that to get, get, you know, keep growing the audience here, keep doing my services on the, on the, on the um, serve game that we talked about before. And, and, but the other problem too is I didn't know how to do anything else. I didn't know how to do anything else. And I was, so I was trapped in, in, in my own business. And even if I was to leave my own business, I felt like the only job I could get was in criminal law. When I moved to Virginia Beach when we first got here and things were not going well, like there was a really got super, super hairy, super hairy, super hairy. Um, I actually interviewed for a job, but the only job I could interview here for was a criminal law job. That was it. That was, I couldn't, how am I going to interview for anything else? I'm, I'm a 20 year attorney. All I know how to do is criminal law. So I was like, oh my God, I'm like interviewing for a criminal law job. Now that didn't work out. Thank fucking God. Right. But even, even this last year, I was like, oh, I'm trapped criminal law. Now I wouldn't have been trapped because I'm playing the serve, I'm playing the serve game now. And so that would, that it wouldn't be a help trap situation because I knew that I was going to be working there just long enough to survive, to be able to keep growing my serve game, growing my personal business, my personal, um, you know, personal services that I'm doing now. But um, but anyways, but still, it's still there's that just shows you the momentum that is there that it's really, really hard to escape. And then I had this I had this epiphany and I've talked about it before. And there is something that happened that there is something that happened that helped me because I was I call it being situationally possessed. So my clients are situationally possessed in criminal law because they never saw themselves. I help normal people. So like got a DUI, stuff like that. And so they never saw themselves being in the criminal justice system. So they're not, they're not themselves. They're never themselves from the beginning to the case, all the way to the end till after they're never themselves. And so they act weird and differently than they normally would because they're situationally possessed. They're, they're, they're prisoners of the moment. Okay. I was situationally possessed by criminal law just by in general being in criminal law. And I just, I just had this epiphany, like nothing was working. And we were in a, um, at that time we were in a two bedroom apartment. I think we were in the two bedroom apartment and with my wife and nothing was working. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, and so I had this, I had, I decided that just for fucking once that I was going to do something for myself like something that I wanted to do because I didn't be wanting to be doing criminal law at that time. I didn't want to be in the business I was in. Frankly, I didn't want to be living in Valencia, California where I was. It just was not a good fit for me. I didn't want to be doing the side business I was doing. And so, and, and the other thing too was we were in the middle of our fertility journal, our fertility journey then. And we'd been doing fertility for a year and a half. And it wasn't maybe two years, actually two and a half years. At that time we'd been doing fertility for two and a half years. It wasn't working. You know, I was the reason, I was the reason why we couldn't get pregnant. It wasn't my wife. My wife is, could still probably have a baby and, and she's a, a little older, um, not than me. She's younger than me, but she's, she's like, it's not her. She's not the problem. I was the problem. And so nothing was fucking working. And I was like, I have, I just, I said, I have to do something outside of myself. I have to do something just for me that has nothing to do with business. And I just got to do something. Now, I didn't know that this decision was going to bring me here and was going to lead to um, a sequence of events that freed me from business, freed me from the commerce trap. And freed me, frankly, from the understory where I was still in because I was fighting all the same monsters and bandits. 
But the funny thing about ideas, if you've ever seen the movie Inception, it talks about the power of an idea. I think of it of a different way is that um, I used to brew beer. And so one thing about brewing beer is that you do what's called pitching the yeast is that you throw the bees, the yeast into what's called the wort, W-O-R-T, and that's the beer mixture. And the yeast goes in there and it eats, it eats all the sugars and creates carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide and ETOH, which is the uh, chemical symbol for beer, right? And, uh, but one really interesting thing about yeast is this, is that when you throw yeast into a, a beer mixture, it, it eats the simple sugars first. So like the one cell sugars, it eats them all. It doesn't touch any of the multi-celled sugars. And then it goes after the two cell sugars. And then it goes over the more complex and so on and so on until it eats all the sugar in the beer. Somehow it knows how to do that. It's the genius of nature. It's God's plan, whatever. It's designed that way. It's amazing. Okay. You don't have to believe in God. You can say it's whatever. It's just evolved that way. Evolution, whatever. That's fine. I'm not here to debate you on those things, but, um, there is a there is a plan even if you don't think there's a divine plan nature has a plan it's developed one and an idea can be like that and i made this decision that i was going to do something for me and i wanted i've always been kind of a creative person and so i wanted to do a one-man show and i know that sounds insane and it is insane you know the definition of insanity is the one you hear all the time is oh it's it's doing the same thing expecting the same result that's being situationally possessed Insanity is actually doing something outside your situation, totally outside the universe you've created for yourself and being like, I'm going to fucking go do a one man show. And there's something, something about it. I had to do it. And I had to do it not because like, look, I had done things before and I call that a grand gesture. I had done skeleton racing. I moved to Los Angeles for God's sakes. Like I had, I was planning on going on a hike to the Pacific Crest Trail. Like I had had all these things that I had planned as grand gestures that would give me the answer. And the, the answer was outside myself. That's not what this was. I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing a grand gesture. I was, <clears throat> I was doing a one man show because for once in my life, I wanted to do something for me that I didn't give a fuck what anyone else thought once and not be afraid to be judged. And that was the first time, one of the first times or one of the few times that I ever said in my whole life is like, I'm going to do something. I don't really care what anyone thinks. And I don't care about the consequences. I don't care if my competitors use it in my marketing against me in the Los Angeles legal market. I just don't fucking care. Now there's one, there's one thing I did care about. And how in God's name was I going to explain this to my wife? <laughs> right? So, uh, because listen, we had just been doing fertility for two and a half years. Right? And we're, no, we had decided we weren't going to quit, but we were getting close. Like, we're going to burn out on this. we got to stop. We're about to hit our budget number, which is like I had said, we have a number that if we hit this number, we're just going to stop because it's going to be silly. We're getting close to that number. And... I'm sitting in a, so at our apartment complex that we lived in at the time, I'm sitting in a, um, we're sitting in a jacuzzi and my wife and I are in a jacuzzi and nobody else is there with us. And this jacuzzi, uh, is, is by the, it's an apartment pool, but our apartment complex is on a golf course. So there's these palm trees and then there's the golf course. You can look out of the jacuzzi and see the golf course. And then there's like this little fireplace outside fireplace with these couches. So it's a, it's like a resort pool at this apartment complex. And we're sitting in there and like, we were kind of doing kind of small talk about, Hey, okay. Our next fertility round of fertility and how are you feeling? And, you know, talking about our feelings and 
you know, and fertility was really fucking expensive and uh, insurance doesn't pay for it. So we're always like out of money and um, just starts and stops. And and I look at my wife and I say, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And she goes, OK. And it's, it's like whenever whenever I say that, it's weird because I don't talk like that. But I had no at that time, I had no clue how to get, you know, talk to my wife about this. And I said, so there's something I really want to do. And um, I want to do a, a one man show. Now, my wife is an actress and she's a creative person, but she's also a woman and she's also uh, a wife. And so like she understands the creative part of that and why that would be cool. But she also knows that actors are fucking broke and creative people are fucking broke because it's incredibly hard to make money creatively. And she immediately thought what I meant was I wanted to stop like that I was going to be do a women's show and somehow I was going to get discovered or something like that. And she, she kind of freaked out <laughs> and, and I kind of talked her off the ledge and I said, look, I said, I don't want to do this to get discovered. I just, it's just something I feel like I have to do. And I don't remember the exact words, but the messaging was, I just need, I just need a win. We're getting our asses kicked all the time. We're not, we're not getting pregnant. Um, you know, she knew I hated criminal law and I was like, I, I just need to do this. And God bless her. She said, yes. And my wife, um, my wife said, okay. And that process took, I think it took at least a year, um, but probably more like 15 months because um, it, it probably took more like 15 months. And um, we had kept, so no, actually I take that back. We've been doing fertility for a year. That's right. And so, so basically it's like, so I, I got a creative coach. Her name is Alicia, Alicia Datner. Look her up. She's amazing. She teaches people how to do one man shows. I entered myself into the fringe uh, festival of Hollywood. I did all of the, um, I did all of the, like, I went to every single social event. I went to every single workshop. I basically created a community for myself from scratch so people would come to it because none of my friends are going to fucking come to it, right? Um, like, three of them came. Four of my friends' friends, like, at that time came, but all of my fringe friends came. And so I always had, and so I did five shows. I won an award, and I had, like, you know, somewhere between 20 and 40 people every night. I got a standing ovation the last, um, the last show. And that... Um, that experience made me feel strong, not because of the standing ovations, not because of the because of the clapping and, and, and not because of like people liking me and like the show. The show could have sucked and I still would have felt strong because I did something from first of all, conscientiously, I did something from beginning to end. I, I did my best I possibly could at it at the time that the skills that I had at the capacity I had at the time. And it was for me. And that was maybe the first time I ever done anything like that in my whole life and not care what anybody thought. And a really interesting thing happened is that I learned a lot of tools from that that I could apply to my business in commerce. Things like marketing, things like how to build a community, things like how to do messaging about people. And my business started to do better. Another really weird thing happened is that you know, my wife came to every single show and she sat in the same seat and she was engaged every show, even though she'd heard every joke, she'd seen the show every time. And so did my brother and his wife, every show. 
and my brother had to drive an hour and a half and his wife had to drive an hour and a half to get there. And, um, my connections grew 20 times stronger. And I had this epiphany about it is that like, if you are situationally possessed and you don't know how to escape what you're doing, you have to get out of whatever it is you're trying to escape and you have to come at it from the side. And that's what I teach people to do is we're going to strengthen your connections and we're going to learn lessons there and we're going to apply it to your business. We're going to build up your support. Then we're going to do something creative. We're going to do something in creations. We're going to make a piece of art. And once we have the support of your family and your connections and the people around you, then we're going to make the piece of art. And then you're going to perform it. Or at least you're going to have it. You don't have to perform it, but you at least have to have done it for yourself. And the le- we're going to take the lessons from that and we're going to whip it all back to um, to your commerce. And it's going to create a... And you'll be amazed that nature, just like the yeast knows how to go from the simple sugars to the complex sugars. There's something about the from the side learning, which is what I call it, from the side learning, that creates a roadmap for you and gives you a way out. It creates the support in your family and your connections to help you so they don't go crazy if you're going to go do something like go to a different toy type of business or change your business so they don't, they're not freaking out as much. And you can learn lessons in your creations and, and whip them back to your, to your business. And you can escape the trap that you're in. And I was, I was, a, I'm a different person because of that one man show. I live in Virginia. So give, put, give you an example. So two years ago, I was in Los Angeles. I had a, a criminal defense business that we were doing pretty decently to pay all my bills. We had successfully navigated fertility. I had two kids and I had the courage to say, fuck it. We're pressing the eject button in California and I'm not doing this anymore. And it all started with that one man show. Now it took three years from when I did the one man show to saying, fuck it, we're going to leave. And then another year before we actually punched our ticket and got out and I changed, totally changed. And I'm still, I'm still like, I'm doing the, um, like the scales, right? Like I still do work, criminal law work, but it's much less. And pretty soon it's going to go to zero. Right. And so I know how to do that and I know how to help you do that. And I know how to help you do it. Not in five years. It took me five, six, seven years, really 20 years of the experience, but five, six, seven years, um, because it took two years to kind of figure it out, all that. So seven years of work to get from, I'm trapped in a business and I'm commoditized by the gig economy to, I'm sitting here in my garage bunker at Virginia Beach doing a podcast on the understory lawyer and I have a completely set different suite of services. Now, I'm not saying that you have to do any of those things. I'm not saying that you have to move. I'm not saying that you have to change to a totally different type of business that you've never done before. But here's what I am telling you. The, the three most stressful things in life are changes in, in your, um, other than death, is, uh, is obviously is changes in your relationship, right? Like you get a divorce or something like that, right? Changes in your relationship, change in your employment, and change moving. <clears throat> and so... I've done two of the most stressful things that you can possibly do in life. So you don't have to worry about it. If, if that's if you have to do that, if you have to move and you have to totally change your career, basically, I can help you do that. And I can help you do it and not get divorced. Because my wife didn't divorce me. And uh, she very well, lots of women would. Part of that has to do with my wife. A lot of it has to do with my wife. But part of it has to do with I actually know how to navigate that. Especially now that I've gone through it. 
So if you feel trapped in your nine to five, if you feel trapped, if you feel trapped in in a business that you've built or you're being commoditized by the gig economy, I've had all three of those. That's the triple Lindy. I've, I've accomplished triple Lindy and I've got out of it and I can help you get out of it. And the, the tactic, right? The sorry, the strategy is from the side learning. The tactics are all of sort of the services and starting in your connections with your entanglements, then switching over to um, creations and then whipping everything back to your commerce. That's the tactics, but the strategy is from the side learning because the understory is divine. Nature knows how to throw yeast in a beer mixture and just do the simple cells first. And we're gonna go into the understory together in something completely different than what you're trapped in. And we're gonna throw some yeast into your life and it's gonna start working on you and you'll never be the same. I have a strength of purpose and a place to stand so strong that I would destroy my former self in any point prior prior to today. A year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, I've never been stronger in my life and it's because I have a place to stand and I'm making my own place. Some of you may decide that you want to find your place and I can help you do that too. But that's the origin story of why I'm doing what I'm doing because I know how much it sucks to be trapped and not know what to do and know that you're smart enough and you work hard enough to get out, but you don't know what to do. You're situationally possessed and you don't know it. And I know the despair, the deep fear and despair that that situation brings on someone. And if I can help you get out, help yourself get out, I can't do it for you but give you the tools where you can do it yourself, you become so strong because you did it on paper on purpose with your Ranger Field Journal and you can own it. See, if I do it for you or I try to tell you what you should do and you do it and you don't discover it yourself, then I own it. But you own it if you do it. And that's where the strength comes from. That's where you have a place to stand and your connections are supporting you because we're going to do that work first. We're not going to run out and do some business. We're not going to run out and do some business tactics. We're not going to go do Facebook ads for you. We're not going to do any of those fucking things. When I sat down with the case study I talked about that I met with us yesterday, we, the first thing I did was sit down with all our family and make sure everybody was on board. Then we started talking about the business side. And But I did a creation thing first. What did we do? First, connections. Got everybody on board. Sat at the went to their house. Had all the families there, the owners. Got everybody on board. What's the second thing I did then? That's connections. What's the second thing I did then? Creations. We took a day and we created. And then we whipped both of those things back. Now I'm on Thursday. I'm going to sit down with those and whip both of those things back to commerce. They have an existing business that they don't hate. So it's, that can be a pretty quick process. It can be as fast as a week. Their whole business has changed in one week. Now, if you're trapped and in a deep fucking hole like I was, it may take longer, but it won't take five years. It took me five years. It took me seven years. It won't take seven years. It won't. We can do it fast together. And the more of us that we get together doing that and going to the understory on paper on purpose and arrange our field journals and creating a community, the faster we can do it together because we can accomplish more together than we can apart.
the, the joy and the happiness that I feel now about having a place to stand and making my place made the despair totally worth it. Now, that may not seem that way to you right now. In fact, I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure many of you are saying there's nothing worse than this. Trust me, there is. But the other side, there's, there's the other side is so awesome. Because for the first time in my life, I have a place to stand. And I don't care what other people think. Mostly. 98% where it used to be flipped. Let's say five. Let's say five percent uh, of me probably still cares what other people think. But 95% doesn't. I'm looking for people who want to be like me, with me, work together, make a tribe, make a community, make a ranger cohort. I like that. I like the word cohort. We're going to put together a ranger cohort and we're going to go do some shit. So if that's you, I wanted you to know why that I'm doing this and why I want to help you and serve you. And just remember, there is no end if you stay on the path to understanding. If you are listening to this podcast and you are an online entrepreneur, I know exactly what it feels like to be you because I am one. I know what it's like to know that you are smart and work your ass off, but always feel like you cannot get traction. I know what it feels like to have your spouse support you outwardly, but on the inside, they're saying to themselves, is this going to work? And I know that you want to create something in business, but you always end up chasing the same dollar over and over. Or maybe you want to create something in the arts, but you feel like you shouldn't play there. So you wander in the forest, stuck in the understory. I spent over 40 years there fighting the same monsters and bandits over and over. And when I discovered that if you learn what the understory is and you start to go there on purpose, you can find a clearing where you have clarity and power in your commerce, connections, and creations. You handle the forest like a badass ranger with the proper mindsets and skill sets that you need. Not once chosen for you by some guru or your parents, but chosen by you on paper on purpose. We can walk the understory together, but I cannot find you unless you raise your hand and say, I'm over here. Subscribe to my email list at understorylawyer.simplecast.com. Let's find your clearing together, a place free of entanglements, a place with a bedrock foundation, and a place where you set the boundaries, not anyone else.